Welcome to a new episode of Blue Jay Bites. Now here's your host, my dad, Brian's on. All right. Welcome back to a long-awaited uh, 35th episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I am Brian Tott. I write as Crate Nodder on whiteandbluereview.com. And this is our semi-weekly, weekly-ish podcast getting there ramped up. I know I start every week with that. But Matt D. Moranis and Joey Tempo are no stranger to me. Um, apologizing for not doing this as often as I'd like to because frankly guys as we ramp up now this is the last full week of September we're starting to hit a real nice spot with the fall sports in full swing men's and women's basketball getting ready to roll we have so much Creighton sports to talk about but guys I know you guys have been in tune with what's going on with men's college basketball nationwide here the last 24 to 36 hours just like I have I just want to know your guys like first blush reactions no holds barred about what we're seeing with um, the FBI case against a number of schools a number of uh, individuals associated with some prominent uh, shoe and merchandise companies and other shady characters that today resulted in um, the administrative leave of Hall of Fame coach Rick Pitino at Louisville, the firing of their athletic director, and certainly um, a half dozen at least schools and coaches assistant coaches, et cetera, being implicated in uh, what really was just, you know, extremely um, juicy uh, content to read from the good folks at the FBI. First blush from you guys. Go ahead, Joey. Well, I, I this morning that he – but not surprised. I mean, we've talked on this podcast or on the message boards a lot. Uh, some joking about the nature of basketball recruiting, and I know Matt has often shared his disdain for it uh, because of these back uh, room dealings uh, that uh, you know uh, are often uh, talked about as uh, smoke, uh, but we really never see any fire uh, behind all this chatter uh, regarding it. And so when this popped up. Uh, you know, onto the uh, Twitter sphere on uh, Tuesday morning uh, that the FBI was going to release some college basketball news. Uh, I don't think anybody knew exactly what was going to come out, but it is, uh, it's refreshing that um, I, I guess from a, a Creighton fan standpoint uh, that uh, uh, teams that have engaged in highly illegal activities are being, uh, you know, set to roost on this and uh, uh, you know, programs that have seemingly done uh, things, you know, as, as, as clean and, and as right as possible. And I like to think that Creighton is one of those programs, uh, you know, um, that, um, um, you know, that the, the other schools are getting their comeuppance. So, um, you know, I think this has the chance to, to really reshuffle the deck. And I've talked to a lot of uh, Creighton fans about this over the last 24 hours. And, uh, you know, I, I constantly am, am coming back to thinking about how uh, important it was to, um, join a conference like the Big East Conference and, uh, and join nine other like-minded schools uh, that share 
Uh, and it's, this might sound corny, but the, the same value sets and integrity uh, that we hold dear. And, um, and despite having maybe uh, mountains to climb to get top talent, uh, have been able to compete with some of the bigger leagues and, and you know, a team in our league win a national title. Uh, teams in our league show well in the NCAA tournament. And by by no means am I saying that Creighton is an angel, and I'm not saying that Creighton's paying players at all. But you know, recruiting is is what it is, and you have to uh, you know learn to fight uh, as best you can uh, within as much uh, you know uh, of the of the law as you can. So the fact that you know we've joined a conference that uh, you know uh, prioritizes uh, the things that Creighton holds dear of you know uh, you know trying to stay as uh, you know within the lines as possible, um, you know, it, it, it's nice. And I think that this will invigorate and strengthen our league. I think this will strengthen our, our program. I think this will uh, continue to, uh, you know, prove dividends over the next couple of years with recruiting. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's refreshing that this all comes out and uh, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Well, I think, I don't know. I don't know how much all of that is, uh, I mean, I, we're very early into this process, so I'm not, yeah, was I'm not popping just, champagne. Like, was ours just the lowest bid? Like, like, I don't know. Did we come in, That's at, what I mean. did like, we come in at 50K and they came in at 100K? Like, I'm just joking, but I understand yeah, like, those I, are extremely uh, valuable and uh, valid sentiments. But, like, God, at what point does everybody just look around and be like, what, is this everywhere? I mean – that's my yeah, question. You know, is I like agree. If you, if you pull back five, six, seven schools, great. I mean, shit, I could tell you the Louisville cheated. I mean, they did it a couple of years ago a different way, but they're still cheaters. And people are like, oh, you know, well, it's just it's different. It's different. Yep. No, man, you're a cheater, man. Once a cheater, always a cheater. And I don't know. Like, is it just six schools, seven schools? Is it 12 schools? Is it only in this conference or only these two conferences? Like, at what point does it just, like, we got to stop and – like everybody have a serious, I, I don't know how you would do it or what you do. I guess apparently the FBI has to be involved or whatever, but NCA can't do it. Just a giant, a giant cleansing right. essentially. Right. I mean, get all the bad, get all the bad characters out and then move a bunch of like, you know, then reshuffle the deck, bring everybody, like replace them with what we would believe to be the right people that would follow the rules and things like that. And hope that, Hope that lessons are learned going forward, knowing that this is actual jail time we're talking about, not just yeah. job loss. Like, you know, the thing is, because if you look at who's involved in this, I mean, Rick Pitino's gotten slaps on the wrist going back, what, 40 years, 30 years as a, as a basketball career. Bruce Pearl was shunned and fired and sitting at an analyst desk. And, you know, then he got back into coaching and now he's involved in this. And of it's course like, he is. Come on. You know what I'm saying? That's what I mean. Like, there's no lessons being learned. It's like if you're if, if job loss is the only thing that you're worried about from a coaching perspective, you're like, well, the next program that's desperate enough to win will will be calling me. So all I have to do is bide my time. But if we're talking about jail time, if we're talking about 20 years of jail time for bribery and conspiracy and things along those lines, that's a different punishment than just. Losing your job, getting a buyout, living a living a fat cat life until the next 
desperate program calls for your shady services. So, you know, a cleansing <clears throat> where lessons are learned and a standard is, a new standard is set. And I don't know what that new standard is. You know, there's a lot of noise right now because, for one, we're really early in this process. Like I said, I'm not popping champagne or anything and saying, you know, I'm not tweeting out or writing long I told you so's about how great Creighton is or anything like that. I don't know. I don't I don't know everything. I don't know if they might be the next round of who knows? Like, you know, Justin Patton's agent was just raided. Uh Nike EYBL was just uh you know, all their computers were seized today. Um you know, who knows how far this thing goes? Who knows if Creighton is one of them or not? And, you know, who knows how many Big East schools are involved? I understand. Here's my goal. I understand. My goal is that so many people get fired that it's actually Joey, Matt, and I that get to be the assistant coaches for Creighton at some point. Like, <laughs> we'll just run it. Like Joey would be good. Joey Joey's knows, a recruiting coordinator. Joey is the Dobo. Joey, are you down for that? I mean, I, mean, I, I hear what you guys are saying. I just <laughs> – <laughs> I, and I and I sorry, I, Joey. I, no, you're right. I, I I don't I don't know if Creighton is involved in any of these illegal things, but I just like to think with the leadership that we have and the coaching staff, you know, that we have, that um, uh, they made a pledge with the conference, really, to just try to make it as clean as possible. And um, you know, who knows? Creighton might be the next round of schools that gets indicted, um, but. But when you look at the recruiting scene, you, you want to reshuffle the deck, as you say, with all the high school talent. You've got to take the shoe companies out of the summer leagues. And if you look closely at what schools are benefiting from what players, where the recruiting for college begins is what travel team players sign up for. Yeah. And if a, tra- if a player signs up for an Under Armour travel team, well, then you're going to look at a team like Maryland or South Carolina or one of the Under Armour programs in the college that are going to get those kids. It happens every year. I mean, it happens. It happened last year. If you're a if you're a Nike EYBL kid, you're going to a Nike school. If you're a Adidas, you know, un, uh, uh, what is it, Gauntlet kid? You're going to an Adidas school. What Creighton's had to do for years, and maybe less so in the last couple of years, but they've had to fight that. They've never been a flagship company or a flagship team for companies, these shoe right. companies. Companies, right? Companies, I mean, right? Companies, right? Well, these are all that's, companies. Freudian slip there. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. They, they, they they've had to work against that tide for, for a long time. Now, how they ended up with three top hundred kids over the last couple of years? I like to think that that's because those kids see what's going on and don't want to be a part of it. Is that naive? Maybe. No. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, but 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 just having read or, or or heard conversations with Balak and Alexander and Epperson, you know, I could I could be reasoned into them not wanting to get into that muck. I could, and I could see that them looking at the landscape and seeing Creighton as a somewhat refreshing option appeals to some kids. Honestly, I don't think every kid is like Tugs Bowen. I don't think every kid wants a payday or wants the spotlight or wants a Range Rover to, to roll up into practice with. Well, I, don't, I think there's some kids that want the college experience as much as possible for a student athlete. And frankly, you read some of the stuff that came out and the conclusion that I made, it was obviously helped by the Twitter sphere and, and some of the other places. Like a lot of these kids, they just don't care where they go for a year or two. It seems like I know that's not a lot mm-hmm. like in the big scheme of things, but at least the way that it was depicted in some of those releases, it's like they were fine with whatever. Like they just, going they'll show up i mean 
that doesn't strike me as like when the first question you asked uh, Balak or Tyshawn or any of those dudes, and the first thing they say is the community. And I mean, again, maybe that's me being naive, but it does seem like they show up and they're really genuinely impressed by our commitment to basketball and making players better and having coaches that, you know, I went back through and I was editing, um, doing our final pass on the, on the 2016, 2017 yearbook and reading Matt, your piece, your feature last year on Marcus that you wrote toward the end of the season before the NCAA tournament started and just how he talked so glowingly about obviously his relationship with coach Lutz, who's now at Purdue, but coach Mack and him, they, he says it in the interview, they're not always like super one-on-one in person talking about stuff all the time. But then you hear him talk about how they text all day back and forth and they'll have these long text message conversations about what you see in the game, which how's life, you know, those types of things. I mean, maybe I'm just out of touch, but I have a hard time seeing Skeletor Patino sitting there having text message conversations for two hours with a fifth year senior transfer guard about what he saw when Marcus is out there jacking jumpers. Like, I just don't see that. I see, you know, and I I, think that's legit. Yeah. I mean, what's the one word everybody uses with Mac? He's honest. He's straight up. He tells it the way it is. And, and, and while that perspective might be t- contorted from our perspective of honesty, maybe honesty in Division One recruiting is not the same as honesty on the real world day-to-day basis. But when you compare his honesty with other programs' honesty, I think some people are attracted to that. And, and again, maybe that's naive for me to think some 19-year-old hotshot recruit wants to hear that. But, but I believe that some of the players that, that, that commit to a school in Omaha, Nebraska, who are from bigger cities and have bigger offers, I believe that that is a very important, attractive option to them. Honesty, that, that, they're, that these coaches buy into them as people. And I don't or think so, you can say that for every other program. Or we're paying him in runs us. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's, 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 probably, why they, yeah, that's, that's it, probably why I'm going left. Um, <laughs> no, just, like this, just to center this conversation a little bit, you know, to focus it, because I feel like go. this is not – I mean, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a lot going forward because this is just the tip of the iceberg, in my opinion. Um, but from a Brian Bowen perspective, because that's obviously where right. Creighton falls in oh, right yeah. now, for sure. We know we know that for a fact. So, who, who is so we're guy? talking about a six-figure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's gravy, Joey. Gravy, um, the most expensive. Hundred thousand, hundred thousand. Yes, the most expensive gravy. Hundred thousand dollar gravy. I didn't know existed. Like, I mean, so I mean, my your reactions to like. Bowen getting a hundred thousand dollars to play at Louisville. I mean, if here's the here's here's where I fall on it. If Brian Bowen, who is a talented player, no question whatsoever, but I but it was like whether he was a one and done to me was kind of up in the air. Now that's up to his. Now obviously guys think they're one and done and just play a year and go and don't get drafted and you know end up making the wrong decision and things like that. So whether he was a true one and done talent wise, or whether he was a one and done in his mindset or his parents' mindset, who knows, but those are different conversations. But the fact that a kid who was a five-star was a top 25 recruit, no question, top 15, I think on ESPN, um, garnered a hundred thousand dollars to get to come to Louisville. To me, that's like, okay, if Brian Bowen is getting a hundred grand, what are, the Marvin Bagley's of the world and 
the Michael Porter Juniors of the world, and like, what are those guys getting in? You know, if they are now, that's not fair because they're current athletes. So I apologize, but I can you know, what, what, you what are guys? What are guys? What are the top five guys getting? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, su- what's, su- what's, what's, supposedly, what's supposedly DeAndre Ayton, the the incoming center from Arizona. You know, I was reading excerpts of some of the FBI stuff, and there was some, you know, some hints in those documents that he was getting paid by Arizona, and he was only making fifteen, or you know, the numbers associated with him were around fifteen thousand dollars. And this is a guy that's projected top three in the draft. He's six, six, six eleven, seven one. And so what I have to think Jesus. is all these pushbacks by Bowen were to increase his his worth, mm-hmm. I guess. And, and, and really? the, well, I, I mean, when you're talking about these guys talking about they needed to get a five-star player to one of their flagship Adidas programs, yeah. the only people out there are way more, their, their, their value on the market is skyrocketed because they're the only ones out there. And if they want somebody to be on the cover of their Sports Illustrated locally, you know, they need some kind of marketing, you know, tool. They can't go and get a three-star or four-star, uh, you know, to, to be on that cover. You know, they got to get a, an impact guy and, and and that's where I that's my only concern with Creighton. I, I have a hard time believing his options were a hundred thousand dollars in Louisville or nothing in Creighton, <laughs> right? I, that's where I have right. a hard time that's, saying. That's kind of where. I'm... Yeah, yeah. Or like so the I mean, like three other major Nike schools that were in on yeah. him, and especially Oregon at the end. I mean, let's be yeah, honest. Oregon throwing curveballs. Yeah, I mean, know? I can't believe it. All those schools were offering money. Oregon, Michigan State, Arizona, Louisville. I have no idea if they all were other than Louisville, obviously. But let's just say all of them were, and Creighton wasn't offering anything, and he still had us in the mix. Or DePaul came in, and they were like, hi, we're DePaul. We're DePaul, not offering anything at this either. point, would give you naming rights to their building if you show them. So <laughs> that's a little bit but more that's, than 100K. That's, that's, so, that's, where I, that's where I get a little worried, is that I know that him and Murph, uh, you know, Murphy were close, but I – you know. A close relationship with one assistant coach isn't worth a hundred thousand dollars in a briefcase. So, and that's just so I'm, just so we're just so we're careful about the wording of this, I don't actually think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the hundred thousand dollars wasn't going to coming from Louisville, was it? It was coming no. from. No, you're right. No. It's Adidas. It was coming from the agents themselves, right? Yeah, it's all semantics yeah. at this point. I mean, so I mean, so I guess you, it's like a follow the money game, but it's it's not I mean, like Louisville. It's not, it's not like, Right. Not like Lula was saying, no, don't give him money to come to our school. You know what I mean? They probably right. they were probably right. were in on it and probably, you know, any of these yeah. schools would have been fine accepting that that offer. Right. And and I don't think I don't think Nike was was rallying on behalf of Creighton to get him to come to Creighton. And I could be wrong, but I, I think if Nike was gonna yes. push him to a Nike school, it would not be Creighton. So that's why, you know, now see, is Creighton is Creighton considered a Nike school, or is Creighton just considered a school that uses Nike gear? Because I'm, I think, I think it's the latter. I'm not, I'm not totally up and up on that either. Like, I, does Creighton pay Nike we need to, to use their stuff? We need to be like Nike? a Saucony school or something like. Yeah, like, we're a new back when school. we were like an above the rim school. I was gonna make that tweet. I wanted to like shoot a note at Doug Swenson, who I know listens to the podcast, and be like, "How much did you have to get paid by a?" to be like an above the rim school back when they had those jerseys back in like the mid nineties, <laughs> mid late nineties. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, champions awesome. really making a comeback in the, in the, in the pop culture scene. Maybe we go back with champion or apex, or get some yeah, starter like, jackets apex. up in this bitch. Yeah. Like I'm down with that. <laughs> I a starter it, was a, it, was a, 
Hey, it was it was the foundation for it all. So I'm this going is to either going to be the best. This is either going to be the best podcast, or it's the one that's going to get us arrested by the FBI. So <laughs> whatever, like I feel yeah, like it might I was be like say, 50, 50. This is probably like a, just a. This is probably like us just calling the hotline essentially and just. <laughs> they posted a hotline <laughs> number. It, it, like they posted a, a legit hypotheticals right now. Like they legit posted a, like how many Kentucky fans who ruined John Higgins's Facebook page and his company's business are calling that hotline? <laughs> be like, you know who else cheated was North Carolina. Oh. You know who else cheated was this guy. You know who else like put a yeah. like that's amazing. I kind of want to call who the number just to in... see who answers. I know. Who do you think they put in charge of answering that sucker? Like. <sighs> It was funny because I was reading last. I was looking through Twitter last night, and I just, I just Twitter searched Creighton because I was honestly looking for Creighton UNO reaction because it was pretty heated. I heard. And I just typed in, yeah, and I typed in Creighton, and the first thing that popped up was a, <laughs> a tweet from. Matt <laughs> I don't know Peralt? if you saw this, but it was, it was it was a tweet. Yeah, I wish it was a tweet from Shocker comments. Like so, I guess from the Wichita State message board or whatever. But it had it had zero followers. But it was urging people – zero followers is the key point of this, by the way. So he's literally talking to himself. And it was urging people to uh, call this hotline and report Kansas, Kansas State, and Creighton um, <laughs> just on anything. Like, sure. And it, 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 it posted Kansas, Creighton, Kansas State, you know, all the Wichita State rivals. And then uh, and then posted the number again and all that stuff. And it's like <laughs> – and I was like, that's pretty funny. But then I, like, clicked on the profile and – I noticed that there was zero followers, and I'm like, and it's been like a five month account, so he's got he's had time. Sure, but uh, he's he not talking to anybody. Right he didn't now. have no anything. One saw, no, no had, one saw that. Basically, he didn't have anything to rally around until now, which in essence is going to yeah. be the most important legal case facing a major Division One sport in its totality ever. Like right. that's legit. Like, no, I might call I it think, tomorrow. And I think that's why I get kind of nerdily excited about this because as a basketball fan, a fan of the sport, certainly a fan of my school and its performance in that sport, like this is completely unprecedented for the entire scope of an division, yeah. an entire division one sport. And we're here, we're going to get to see this all f- like fall from the sky in an era where there's Twitter, where there's like near constant. I mean, I don't know what was more interesting to me to observe the parsing out of the FBI paperwork into screenshots on Twitter, or then the reaction, and then everybody being able to put these pieces together immediately in real time. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was in a meeting when all of it started, and so when I came out, my phone is just going nuts, and I start looking. I always scroll to the top and work my way down. I don't want it to ruin anything for me, right? And like when they start to con- connect player 10 to the guy who – strung Creighton along for months upon months upon months. It just like I didn't know whether to like get the shivers, get a smile, get a like a weird sick feeling in my stomach. It was just crazy that this is all gonna break down and that it's just like you said, kind of tip of the iceberg type stuff. Um so it, I don't know. It's gonna be it, strange. Wasn't it fun reading how or kind of like breaking down how it implicates who it implicates type of deal? Because they obviously didn't name Louisville or Bowen or, you know, South Carolina or Arizona or things like that. It was, like, player number, school number. And it was, like, so you had to eliminate it based on, 
okay, well, how many universities are in the state of Kentucky that have this many people enrolled and uh, got a commitment on this date and things like that? Like the Louisville one was pretty much dead on, right on target. It was essentially it was essentially a school in Kentucky. Player got a commitment 10 on committed June, on June third. Come on, on June third. <laughs> it was like, uh, that's only one person. So that, that's how Bowen's name is out there right now. Right. Was because that's the only guy who waited until fucking June to commit. Like. <laughs> and we know, that's, and we could, know why. What went down today? He could have fallen into a. He could have fallen into a group of like a hundred kids. But he waited until the summer, and it was like he was the only commit on June third. And it was like, well, that's only one guy in one university, so Unreal. nice hundred grand check there, Bowen. Unreal. Like, good God, man. But I mean, and with his advice of saying take as long as you need, don't do that anymore, kids. But that's what's happening, right? So I'm um, three minutes ago. Matt Norlander posts an update to CBSSports.com. Miami University of Miami men's basketball program under FBI investigation. President acknowledges it with a statement tonight. But that's also because, quote, in court documents, Miami reasonably appears to be so-called, quote, University 7, end quote, with specific connections to an unidentified coach, Coach 3, and a recruit, Player 12. University 7 is identified as a private university in Florida with approximately 16,000 students in one of the state's largest <laughs> universities, among other details that match Miami's profile. There are accusations from the FBI that Jim Gatto, a prominent Adidas employee, like that undersells it. My understanding is that Gatto like runs the entire marketing department for that product, right? Was yeah. Working with They're an assistant coach from University 7 in an effort to move – $150,000 to the family of a high-profile 2018 prospect. I mean, you can code name whatever you want. Like, everybody in college basketball will know that kid, that coach, and that school the minute Norlander or anybody else posts that out there. That's, like, I don't feel bad talking about this shit on a podcast because it is literally being talked about by every athletic department and every – college basketball media member in the country right now it's crazy yeah, it's, the, it's crazy. It's the news topic of the i know no it's like when it's the when, only thing going when a right team, now. like when a team win and wins an, i'm sorry this gets me super jacked up like when a team wins a national championship like yeah i kind of remember north carolina won it last year but frankly i had to kind of be reminded about that like this is going to be talked about every single day for i don't know what's the end here Joey and Matt. Like, and that's why. That's what. Like that's the end. Yeah, exactly. Joey's our recruiting coordinator. Yeah, I don't want any part uh, of that. Dobo. Bryant's the. <laughs> I can tell you right now, I'm too broke to be playing for any of these players. Yeah, I'm I am, I am way too. I, I like to think myself too honest and too broke. <laughs> to that stuff. You know, that's how it starts, Joey. You got to be broke. Got to be desperate. Yeah, that's Apparently. true. I don't that's know. where that's where all the handouts come in. So Creighton's clean. Everybody else is dirty. We've established that. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, Creighton's not clean. Creighton's dirty on the soccer field. Let's that's, go there. Let's talk about that's all the, the segue cameras. I was trying to make. I didn't watch the match. You guys were both there. What the hell happened? Why is you knows assistant coach tweeting screenshots at 1030 last night that I'm getting <laughs> CC'd on? What happened? I didn't know you got you got CC'd on that. <laughs> WBR did. Somebody retweeted. I didn't know it. I was. I didn't know I was watching Dirty Rotten Cheaters in blue jerseys last night. But when it like all when it was all said and done, I, I thought I watched a one nothing match between two 
good teams that played really well defensively yeah. and like and then I get down on the field and I'm like this is a little more heated than it seems and then I got on Twitter and I was like oh wow this is really not this is really a no one feels like this is a resolution or anything like that but obviously just the nuts and bolts of it are um, you know Creighton scored their only goal when UNO had a man down on the field just essentially sitting on his rear waiting for an injury attention from the medical staff. Um, I forget the kid's name. He was their forward, Hamzat. I think his ha- yeah, ha- yeah, Hamzat or whatever. Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, Emmanuel Hamzat. Yeah, he's very good. But he had played 64 minutes consecutive to that point, and that's a lot for a forward. So I think he was just a little tired, and he wanted to sit <laughs> down, you know? Like, soccer players do that. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm, I don't want to offend the soccer community right now, but you guys play it up a little bit. Right. So I felt like that's what he was doing because Creighton was on the attack and he was like, you know what, screw this. I'm not going to mark anybody. I'm just going to wait for the ref to blow the whistle or Creighton to quote unquote do the right thing and kick it out of bounds. But it's like, well, he sat on his butt. He, you know, reached at his ankle and, you know, touched his head and did all like the emotional acting things that soccer players do and <laughs> try to draw attention. And Lucas Stoffer didn't care. So Lucas Stoffer kept going to the end line. And UNO kind of got a little lazy, and Stoffer put a ball into the middle of the box around the penalty area, and Ricky Lopez-Espin, who's one of the best finishers in college soccer, put his head on it, put the goal in there, and Creighton won one nothing. I mean, you know, I understand UNO's coaching staff was really upset about it. I understand that the fans were really upset about it, but at that, do you really expect – and I and, and the broadcast, the guy on the broadcast was uh, – if you watch their highlight reel, um, I can't remember how he phrased it, but he was really critical of during the run of play before Creighton scored the goal. While they were going to score the goal, he was talking about how that was unsportsmanlike of Creighton to keep playing on while the guy was down. So, you know, it was the entire everybody in the UNO, everybody in black and red was very upset about that play. But at that, but my question is, do you really expect a team that's already in the attacking third? It's not like he went down in your defensive third and you just kept going. You know. 100 yards and finish that off. He, they were already in the attacking third, and he was 40 yards behind the play. So who in their right mind would kick that out of bounds no. in a scoreless match? Nobody. Nobody. And, and, and I might – yeah, I mean, I might, I might come on here and uh, talk about recruiting and pretend like I know what's going on with recruiting or whatever, but, <laughs> but I, I watch a lot of soccer. Our recruiting expert is how we refer to you, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah, I would well, hope well, you do. Well, I watch a lot of soccer and I've watched soccer for the 25 years of my life. And, and this just does not happen. Now, why UNO is upset is because, is because Creighton scored. Because this they would lost. Be a non, this would be a non-entity if, if Creighton won and scored on that. And I'll tell you what, I was right there. The guy was, the play was already by him. And, and UNO, mm-hmm. while a couple of their players pointed at the guy down, the, the ref has no obligation to stop the play. It was not a foul. He slipped on his own. He did not hurt himself to the point where he needed immediate medical attention. There was right. at least six players for UNO behind the ball. It's not like Creighton got a three-on-one breakaway because the entire UNO team ran to this player's aid because they were worried for his life. Nobody, nobody boots the ball out in the attacking third, especially in this game when it was 0-0, you know, when, when things are you know, fairly even. And, and, and we'll get into this a little later, but UNO played great game. And I think that mm-hmm. if UNO 
um, continues that kind of play, I, I think that Creighton should continue to play them. And we'll get into that later. I want to talk about that. But I'll tell you what would happen if Creighton would have kicked it out is it would have just solidified all the all the issues that made UNO fans so upset with the Coach Bolovich interview in the World Herald. When you kick a ball out because you are feigning an injury, that's gamesmanship. And that's exactly what Bolovich com- uh, complained that Mims' teams had done in the past. And so right. if Creighton would have kicked that ball out, the guy would have walked off as, on his own power. We would be sitting here talking. What if, Which he yeah, did. What, he ended up doing exactly. that anyway. He walked exactly. off on his own. Exactly. So my point is the very thing that they're saying that they have now graduated from, they have an excellent team of talented, skilled players that are playing the right way. You know, if we would have kicked the ball out, I would have been on here saying, you know what, we had a great opportunity in like the 675th minute and their guy feigned an injury because we were on the attacking third and he slipped and didn't want to track back. And, and it was clear that Stoffer was moving up and he didn't want to make that run back. There was enough time. Was, was, there was, was, a, hamstr- was his hamstring? Yeah, yeah. There was. There was not like there was, it was an. There was enough attack. time, and I said it to. Yeah. I said it to. I was sitting next to Michael Murakami in the press box, and I was watching him. I watched him go down. I watched him hold his ankle. I watched him sit there like, like he was tired or waiting for someone to come help him. And then he was like, you know, he did the little thing where he was laying down a little bit, and he would sit up, and it was. It was like he's clearly looking for just to get off the field. He's not, you know, he doesn't have energy anymore. He's played 64 straight minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I'm sitting there going, and I'm I'm watching Stauffer and Lopez Espin combine. And I'm like, that dude better get up because Creighton's got, you know, Creighton's got a man advantage in the box right now. And Stauffer's going to the end line because. No, didn't. Stauffer was was four defenders. There was four defenders and two on Ricky. One got lazy. One got lazy not because a guy was down in the middle of the field. A guy for UNO got lazy because he got lazy. Not because yeah. of the guy in the middle of the field. You watch the hey, replay. He just turned off for three seconds. And you know what? The That's guy. the difference between teams with, 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 with players that have – you know, bigger matches behind him and teams that don't, you know, and, that, and that's just the truth of the matter is that UNO hasn't played in as many, you know, of these high caliber games. And and that's not to say that they're not going to in the future. It's just that they haven't been tested like Ricky Lopez has. He's played it against Stanford three times. He's played against, you know, he's, these guys have played in high profile matches and, and UNO will get there. And I was very, in, you know, intrigued and pleased by how they played. They played great and they gave Creighton a lot of problems last night, and credit to them. And if that's the way they're going to continue to play for the for the remainder of their program under Mims, I think Creighton should play them because those are games that Omaha deserves to see and Creighton deserves to play against because those games are only going to make Creighton better as a program and UNO better as a program. And if both teams can mutually benefit from that match, then then by no means should it end. But but I'll tell you, the, the three matches before this one, UNO, UNO did not have the quality of players to keep no. up with Creighton, and that's not a knock on those players, but they were in positions to injure Creighton's players because they just weren't as good as them early on. And and after a while, it kind of looked as though, um, you know, you know, in, in my perspective, that that they were, you know, trying to rough up Creighton a little bit and knock him off the ball. Yeah. And they thought that they were a little too prissy, and they wanted to take a little bit of a hard nosed approach to him. And Bolovich didn't appreciate that. And guess what? He cannot appreciate that. He doesn't owe you know this game to you guys. And if he feels that. You guys are targeting some of his better players, some of the guys that have high professional, you know, uh, futures. He doesn't need them. He doesn't need that from any team, let alone a team that's, you know, three miles down the road. So, well, I think that know, comes to that's part of the a, reason why, why scheduling teams with 
something on the line helps. You know, you want to stack your schedule with as best of RPI teams as you could possibly do. And the reason that mm-hmm. UNO, the reason that UNO isn't on every Creighton schedule is because their RPI isn't up to snuff. So it was, it was what's the benefit of Creighton playing them? You know, right now it's a different story, but yeah, no, exactly. You know, you know, right now is, is playing the right brand of soccer. They're playing high quality opponents. Their RPI, their strength of schedule is, is very good. And so win or lose this game will benefit Creighton in the future. If they can keep up this high, you know, high, uh, high intensity of, you know, of a program. And I think that they can, and, and if they're going to come out and play like they did last night, um, moving forward, I think that Creighton shouldn't cancel this series. Oh, you know, I, I think that UNO and, and Creighton should make it work. So, I don't think Creighton. I've seen I've seen this a few times, and I'm not sure it's 100 accurate. I don't think Creighton is canceling this series. First of all, it's not a series that existed. So let's talk about the history of it. It did uh, before last year. There was a 33 year break in the last time they played, and the last time, and before that, they weren't even D1 programs. So, I mean, last year was essentially the start of it. So it's now gone two years of what what you would call maybe a trial run, if you will. And next year's schedule for Creighton is filled up. Um, But Bolovich isn't saying, you know, well, we'll see what happens. He's essentially saying, yeah, let's sit down. Let's talk about it. We have openings for 2019, 2020, and let's, you know, let's see what happens. I think, I think. And and I think what's going to happen and what I'd like to see happen is cancel Drake Stop playing them every year, exactly. Because one, because they, I mean, they, they're not. They, I mean, I don't. They do the same thing that I we complain about UNO with. I mean, their their yeah. players are not the quality, and and, and I can think of a number of and players. Their field is and their field is garbage. Yeah, the number of players have got injured for the season. Ricky Lopez went out his freshman year. He was tearing it up. He probably would have left mm-hmm. for a professional contract his freshman year. He was that good initially in the year, and I know that he was highly sought after in the professional ranks, and he he got injured off of a awful challenge at Drake and that ruined his, yep. his, uh, you know, his, his, his potential for, you know, making money at the age of 20. And, 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 uh, and, and, you know, I, I agree that if we're going to play the Drakes of the world, we should just might as well play the UNOs and UNO exactly. moving forward is not going to have Drake's RPI. UNO has committed to soccer and hopefully um, committed to playing um, the way they did last night because they were great. Um, and they're a tournament team, and that's going to make Creighton better. And whether Creighton likes it or not, uh, and I think most fans that I've talked to would would would, would like to play UNO, but um, the way the NCAA tournament works for soccer is you get paired regionally. And if UNO makes the tournament and Creighton makes it the tournament and we're not playing in the regular season, there's a very yeah. good chance we're going to be playing in the NCAA tournament. So um, I don't think we can all – you know, altogether say that UNO and Creighton will never play again because it, it's probably not up to either program. Uh, if they both make the tournament, there's a very high likelihood that we'll be playing at some point in the NCAA tournament. I mean, if UNO runs through the Summit League, like let's say Denver did last year, then it's possible that both teams are yeah. that both teams might be seeded at top 16 seeds. So they get the first round by, then they beat whoever um, they beat whoever uh, moves on from the first from the opening round from the opening from the round of 48. And then all of a sudden, you've got a matchup in Omaha, you know, at Morrison or Coniglia, whoever's higher seated, uh, to, you know, go to a Sweet 16. How yeah, crazy yeah. would that be? It'd be great. It'd be great. I mean, last night last night was an incredible atmosphere. And UNO did a really, you know, a, a kudos to UNO for, I mean, future Nebraska Huskers athletic director Trev Alberts for letting um, all the fans in that were <laughs> – 
I mean, I spent I spent the first thirty five minutes outside outside the gates waiting for the two ticket ladies to let me in. So I appreciate yeah. getting the match for free. I really do. I should I bought tickets beforehand? Yes. Does UNO need more than two people manning the ticket booth? Probably. Yes. Yeah. I've heard multiple complaints that there was no food in the stadium. Maybe you know if you're expecting a crowd of four thousand people, you know act like a program that can take on 4,000 people because by my count, they let in over 500, at least 500 people in that yes. match for free. That's, that's at eight bucks a pop. That's $4,000. And so yeah. you give somebody a couple hundred dollars to stand by a ticket booth and swipe credit cards, you're making four grand. So, Hey, it was great to be let into the match for free. I was going to be out there for the entire first half and probably halftime before I got in. But um, you know, it was, it was great to get in there for free. I just, I was a little disappointed by how uh, how comical you know waiting out there was. I mean, I wasn't even close to the ticket booth, and I've been out there for no. twenty five minutes. So, um, and so, so the, and, the, was, and the announced attendance was forty nine eighty six, so just shy of five thousand. There was easily six in that stadium. So, yeah, yeah, they, uh, kind, of, they kind of shortchanged their an impressive an impressive turnout. But forty nine eighty six is very impressive. First of all, I mean, it's more than it's more than Creighton drew for the UNO match last year. So there's obviously even more interest in it based on both teams being really good. Um, but yeah, that, that was easily 6,000. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Get, get your ticket sales under, under control. They were all well, busy, I mean, they're not, all not busy reading FBI documents. Like I wouldn't be swiping <laughs> tickets either, man. I'm catching up on that shit. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, they could have made $4,000 easily. You know, it's, it's one of those things yeah. where, you know, it just seemed like, um, yeah, I don't want to call it mid-major-ish, but I mean, you know, like if you're if you're expecting a huge walk-up crowd, like have there was two people taking tickets, they ran out of cash to give people back. Mm-hmm. That's why they Just let people get in. a loan from Brian Bowen and let's get yeah, this no, thing going. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was, but all, in all joking aside, it was really cool. Uh, it was a cool match to cover, to watch, to all the players. It was cool for them to play in. I mean, they spoke like. The, you know, like this was a dream scenario for them. This is what you, this is what these is what these are the type of matches you you dream about playing in as a player. That's basically the gist of all of their comments. Um, I'm sure the coaches feel the same to a certain extent. Obviously, it's a little more stressful for them because they're not in control of what's going on on the field. Um, but you know, I mean, the, the crowd was evenly split, so it's clearly something that Omaha has an a, you know a good amount of interest in a fair amount of interest in, you know, there's, there was, there was about half Creighton fans, half UNO fans. Um, they were all, you know, passionate the whole time. The energy was great. I mean, it's a, it's a great event and I feel like it, it only will get better as the years go on because I'm, and I'm supremely confident it will continue. I, I think know. it will continue to, and, and, and it, and it should, it should, as, as, as you know, uh, you know, continues to build as a program. I don't think Creighton owes it to them to play them, but I think Creighton should play them. I think it would help the, our program. I think it would help um, Creighton's stature in the community. I think it would help UNO's stature in the community. And so I, I think it should continue, and I think it will continue for sure. Yeah, I agree. So I, it's, just, it's just disappointing that, that the game is, uh, is talked about and one play has dictated that entire – you know, the entire narrative of that game as though it should have been a zero, zero tie. Uh, but for that one play that Creighton cheated on and scored a goal, um, that's a little, well, there was the other one. The other, there was another one earlier that negated a UNO goal that was offside onside. I mean, honestly, it's really tough to tell. I've got a different yeah. angle from it based on UNO's highlights, but it's like, I mean, he, it, it looked close. 
right? I don't know what the ref is looking at, but I mean, he's, you know, Bryce Gibson's foot looks like it might be in front of him, but then the, you know, Hamstead's whole body is in front of Bryce Gibson, so who knows what the ref is seeing from that angle. Does he see Bryce Gibson's foot or does he see a giant white jersey? Yeah, I mean, you know, in in his eye line. So it's a a close call. It looked onside to me from the picture I saw because I was standing outside behind the Ivy when it happened. So I didn't get to see it because I was waiting for a ticket. Um, but, but, you know, and that's one of those things where, uh, you, you know, uh, um, those, those split decision calls, uh, go either way. I think Creighton has been on the yeah. other end of them all the time. And so, um, while UNO soccer is five years into its program, that, that stuff happens, you know, th- those calls go against you. And, um, and, and I've seen people say that the linesman was, uh, you know, a Creighton fan or, or, or a brother of an ex-Creighton player. I mean, that kind of stuff just does not validate, you know, your arguments uh, you know. You know, going forward. So was it was it onside? Was it offside? The pictures looked onside. Should the goal have stood? Do they want to use instant replay to look at that stuff? You know, I mean, you know, you want to get the calls right. And so um, it's too bad if it was a legit goal. It should have counted. Um uh, and so, yeah, that's it's disappointing. Uh, but uh, these things happen so, in NCAA sports. Um, Joey, and- just Joey, just Joey, just wait until UNO fans lose a uh, Elite Eight match on PKs. That'll be, you know, right. Or or, wait or down exper- in the pa- just wait till they down experience the that. <clears throat> yeah, wait till they experience that nonsense and see how they feel oh, about I, soccer. Or how about down in the, you, you travel with your buddies down to Alabama or Birmingham, Alabama to watch the College Cup and losing PKs to <laughs> the University of Charlotte. Whose goalkeeper is doing jumping jacks to distract your team and and, and uh, <laughs> taunting them? I mean, yeah, there, there, there's heartbreak in sports, and uh, I know UNO fans really wanted this game. They've been circling it for two years ever since it got put on the schedule. This was this was the the game that was going to validate validate them not only in the community as Omaha's team, but as you know, a team nationwide <laughs> that was. Uh, a I've seen that they're on the uprise. That's what I've seen around town. That, that's all there's, I hear about. Yeah, there's you know? an uprising. And so for that for that to kind of fizzle out, you know, fizzle out because they lost the game one nothing, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm sure it doesn't, you know, su- support what that their narrative wanted to be. So, you know, I, yeah, their program will be fine. They have great support. They have passionate supporters, um, you know, and and, and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I think know. soccer. So, I, I think soccer in I'm general biased. does around here. So. so what did you yeah, see though from the game, like from Creighton's side? Um, obviously they won against Tulsa in a crazy ending. Yeah. Um, and then I, that came right after they blew a two nothing start against Butler on the road. So yeah, I mean, talk, talk, talk about, talk about poorly officiated matches. I mean, the, the Butler match was, I mean, I, it wasn't, I didn't get to view it, but just from talking to some of the coaches and some of the players that were, were there, I mean, Creighton had 26 fouls whistled on them. I mean, Creighton commits maybe 10 fouls a game. And I just heard the, the match was completely off the rocker. The, the referee had never refereed the Big East before. It was completely ridiculous. And, um, and you know, Creighton, Creighton Creighton's up 2 nothing. Uh, the coaches are telling me that they that look like they played the best soccer of their the season uh, up to that point. And then uh, Butler scores twice in the last 10 minutes, and they, they lose in overtime. So that's how soccer goes, you know. And, and, and UNO fans – um, you know, they know that that's how soccer goes. I know a lot of them are very knowledgeable and passionate soccer fans. And so, you know, it's, it's disappointing to lose like that, but Creighton's season has really been on, on, on the precipice the last couple of games. I mean, losing to Butler hurts, um, having, if they would have lost to Tulsa, which maybe they should have scoring in the last 16 seconds or whatever it was, 
Um, if you lose that game, you are squarely outside the tournament realm for a while. Um, but they've they've rebounded. Uh, they look like they know what they want to do. Uh, my only concern for them is they're still getting zero help from some of their offensive players. Ricky Lopez, Noah Frankie, Lucas Stauffer, who's a defender. I mean, these guys are still the guys that were around the last three years um, doing the major load. And and the, the staff went out to, to supplement those guys and help them with um, with some of the scoring punch. And um, the guys they've brought in have not been of any help whatsoever. Uh, Mario yeah. Loomis, Sven Koenig. I mean, these guys look lost. And um, I was hoping that by this point in the season, they would look like showing a little bit of a glimmer of hope uh, in linking with some of these players. But um, they just do not look like they know where they're supposed to be or what runs they're supposed to make. They're not connecting well with any of the players. Um, and so that's that's very disappointing uh, because uh, then it turns into that same narrative that it seems to have been the last couple of years of Creighton's got a pretty strong starting 11, and then after that, not much. And um, if you go down with an injury or if one of their attacking players isn't having a good game, well, then uh, we're in trouble. Um, to answer Brian's question, Creighton kind of dominated. kind of dominated in the midfield area, and uh, well, for the for the first half, I thought the second half, UNO completely shifted the field. And for the first thirty minutes or twenty five minutes of the second half, I thought UNO was by far the better team, uh, which was worrying because I thought Creighton played really well in the first half, despite giving up a couple shots on goal and and the obvious uh, possible missed goal from UNO. I thought Creighton was by far the better team in the first half, but the second half. I thought UNO was playing great. Um, Creighton controlled them, but I thought UNO was looking very dangerous and uh, like they I could just, score. So. I just didn't see much. I, I thought they were dangerous on their top line for sure. I didn't think, and I thought I thought UNO's top line was more dangerous than Creighton's, definitely, especially in the day. Absolutely. Everything from the connection in the midfield, like if UNO wouldn't play a ball long or wide, I felt like anything that had to involve connecting passes or moving the ball up through the middle of the field, was entirely playing into Creighton's hands the whole night. I didn't think yeah. – I, th- I thought Joel good. Rydstrom was really good. I thought Akeem Ward was really good. I thought Noah Frankie was really good. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Stauffer. I like all those guys kind of like the, the the backbone of the whole system, if you will. Those guys, Im- you know, imparted their – imposed their will on the match. And I thought it was the difference in the end because, again, Stauffer put a, you know, a great ball in the box for Lopez Espin when it mattered. And, you know, that's the only goal that we got, you know, into the back of the yeah, net. Great. But – Creighton wants to clutter the midfield. They put Kuba Polat and Joel Rydstrom right in the middle. They have a oh, strong. Oh, Kuba. Yeah, Kuba's been great. I mean, Kuba, 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 Kuba might have saved the match last night because there was a two-on-one UNO had developing yeah. in the middle of the field playing wide to the left, and Kuba kind of was backtracking, and then he stepped to kind of break it up at the right time. If he had missed that, that's a goal. Yeah. I mean, UNO's got a two-on-one essentially with Kluver at that point, so. Yeah. Um, great job! That was a great play by Kuba. I don't think it got enough attention, but well, maybe he um, should just maybe he should, when, I saw, when I saw it, I was like, "Wow!" Yeah, he should, he sort of just sat down, and hopefully, you and I would have kicked the ball out of bounds so that we could, uh, uh, you know, re- re- reciprocate the favor and kicked it back to them. You know, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> on my leg. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I think I think the I think the blueprint's out on Creighton though, and uh, you you cannot connect through the midfield. We we cluttered up too much. We're too good in tight spaces, winning the ball back. Um, but if you go over to the top of us, um, uh, yes. where we could be in big trouble. And looking ahead a little bit, there's some teams in the Big East that are that's what their game is predicated on. And um, uh, Providence, yeah, Providence and Xavier, and those are two games yeah. that worry me 
for Creighton moving forward. And there's a bunch of games that worry me for Creighton moving forward. But I look at our, our, our roster and how we're progressing throughout the year. And um, um, I think we're fairly vulnerable in some of those aspects. And I think that plays into some of the strengths of the other teams we're going to be facing. And UNO, too. I mean, they're, they're like you said, their front line uh, might be one of the best front lines in, in, in Division One. Uh, and, yeah. and I thought we did fairly well considering how good Not they are. Lucas compared him to Stanford last night. Yeah, did he? I mean, and yeah. Stanford's got like professional play- I mean, Stanford's got some really good players. So, yeah. again, that, that speaks to how well UNO has developed as a program and uh, how far they've come in such a short time because these kind of players, um, uh, the quality that we saw last night from UNO was not the quality we've seen the last couple of years. So like, again, kudos to them because they're dangerous. I don't want to play them in the NCAA tournament. I don't think Polovich wants to see them again in the NCAA tournament. Um, uh, and so, um, yeah, I, I think Creighton, I think this is going to be a good win. I think Creighton's RPI unofficially, which is fairly official because this algorithm is pretty easy to crack for college soccer. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's close to the top 15 or top 20 ish. I think they easily it was, the top 20. it was 12 after last night. Yeah. And I think that might change day to day, kind of depending on what matches get played. But I think Creighton's squarely in, in, in a good position to where if they can um, show well in the rest of the Big East, that they should be uh, on the cusp of uh, making a top 16 appearance. So, um, mm-hmm. again, it just how much, how much legs do those 11 players have and how much are we going to get from our bench moving forward? I think that'll be something to watch as Creighton goes into playing some maybe lesser teams in the big East, how much, how much, how many minutes are we going to ride uh, some of the seniors, some of the leaders on the team? So yeah, well, let's see. They play Seton hall this, this week away. Uh, uh, sounds easy enough. Seton hall sucks, but Seton hall is Seton that's hall always has, a tricky match out there. Always, that's, that's always, one that, always, always, always gives us great games. I don't know why they're fielding. Even, even with Fabio and Timo, like we're yeah, dominant. I mean, like that was Bobby a weird and one. Timo, we were, you know, top five in the country in offense and, Somehow they shut us down. I remember, I think we had to score two goals in five minutes to yeah. get a result a couple years ago. So, the, the, and Bolovich said it himself, that's always a tricky game for us. So, um, so yeah, uh, they, they're, they're, their next coming fixtures look uh, fairly doable, but um, we're getting into the meat of the uh, Big East season. So, um, they're going to need some help from their bench, and, uh, you know, we'll go from there. Speaking, speaking of help from their bench, volleyball. I was gonna. Well, I was gonna say speaking of the meat of their Big East season. So we both we could have we both went different segues, but I think we ended up in the same location. Yep. Let's talk about Coach right. Kirsten Berthel Booth's women's volleyball program. We specifically, well, not specifically. It just so happened that after probably their um, their worst weekend of volleyball, at least from a result standpoint so far, we did not podcast. Um, when they were down in Wichita, we didn't podcast after that, did we? Did did we no. talk about your trip to Wichita, Matt, or not? No, no okay. we don't. I don't, need to. I don't think we. I mean, we don't need to. They lost to Iowa State. They lost to Wichita State, but they bounced back with two uh, two wins last weekend in Omaha. Uh, Matt, I know you were there. Um, what do we see out of Coach Booth's team as they sort of Big East play uh, a league they should pretty much run through? Um, relatively un, unchallenged. Well, I think the first of all, the lesson that we all know very well is that nothing ever good happens when you go down to Wichita. So let's stop doing that. Here, here. Um, I mean, and it was their worst weekend from a performance standpoint. Um, you know, all around. I think when you factor in how they played, although the Iowa State match was uh, commendable in the way they fought back, 
being a you know a man a woman down in Lydia Dimke um, was was you know encouraging to see that, but still from a performance wise they didn't leave that weekend you know. Creighton's long been out of the moral victory business in volleyball. Let's just say that. So right. they weren't happy with that performance. And then, you know, obviously the whole week that was of, you know, how how severe is uh, Dimke's injury. Um, we knew it was an ankle, obviously. Found out early on it wasn't broken, so that was good news. It was all about just, you know, how severe is the, the ligament damage. It ended up just being a sprained ankle. So, you know, she was – she didn't practice at all all week, but, you know, she was one of those things where if she's – ready to go. Maybe she plays a little bit in the uh, Villanova match on Sunday or, you know, the whole thing like she ended up playing. So, against Georgetown, she didn't play at all. Hollinger filled in at setter for her. They kind of ran a little little 5-2 or a 6-2. Megan Ballinger and Samantha Bonet um, handled the setting duties and handled it well. I mean, Megan Ballinger, when you talk about volleyball skills or, you know, just being a versatile Swiss Army Knife type of athlete. I mean, essentially think of a basketball player who can protect the rim, step out and shoot threes, handle the ball, run the offense, things like that. I mean, that was essentially Megan Ballinger this weekend. You know, she hit right side, she hit left side, she, you know, blocked the middle, she passed, she served, she played back row, she played setter. I mean, there's nothing that kid didn't do. It didn't do at a high level too. So when you talk about, when you talk about, sorry. That sounds like the Her start perform- of the. Th- I feel like you're in Thriller <laughs> right now. Like <laughs> I am. That's what just happened. Um, when you talk about her performance, uh, it was big. She stepped up for Creighton, huge. Uh, obviously against Georgetown, one of the a talented team, a team with good outsides, but you know probably one of the worst teams in the league to be honest overall. Uh, and Creighton, you know, hit the daylights out of the ball. I think they hit around four forty six is what they ended up at. So it was the highest. Highest force set attack percentage in program history. So, offensively, they were clicking with Ballinger and Bonet, subbing in for Dimke. And then um, Lydia came back Sunday and, uh, you know, didn't it didn't really look like the ankle was taped up all that much, you know, out of the ordinary. It looked like it was just a standard support down there. So, she looks like she was feeling a lot better. She was moving around better. And, you know, she came out, she started, she played all four sets against Villanova and played really well. I mean, she was three kills away from a triple-double, which is pretty impressive. I mean, Creighton doesn't have many of those in their history. Uh, so, yeah, seven kills, and then she had 43 assists, 18 digs, which was a season high, I think. Um, ran the offense really well. It looked like, you know, the connection with the hitters, you know, tearing close, Jaylee Winters, who finished with uh, 18 kills against Villanova. Um, which is a season high for her. Look, the connection with the hitters was 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 you know didn't miss a beat, so that's good to see. And obviously, Dimke's value was you know on full display. You saw what it was like against Wichita, how difficult it is to score points with without her. Now the offense is you know still very versatile, and there's a lot of parity. And I think now Creighton knows going forward, should something happen again, they can fill in more confidently for her. But you see her value. I mean, she's one of she's one of the most underrated players in the country. And it was actually like I think NCAA did a survey this week or today in the last couple of days, and that she was voted um, most underappreciated player. I think so. You just see all the things that she does is running that offense um, for Creighton, all the things she does defensively and blocking. 
I mean, it's very it, – she is essentially the quarterback and the middle linebacker, if we're talking football terms. Um, very valuable player, and to have her back in the mix and looking healthy is is is, is good because Creighton's going to have to – on paper, Creighton's not going to be allowed much leeway in losing te- to teams in the Big East um, if they want to host. So, you know, Marquette's looking good right now, but that's basically the only – the only loss I think they'll be allowed to have essentially from an RPI standpoint, if they want to host. So having everybody healthy and ready to go and, you know, through this biggie schedule, considering that they don't have much depth this year is going to be vital. So getting Dimke back as soon as they did, considering all that was unknown throughout the week is uh, yeah, a win-win for Creighton for sure. You mentioned Marquette. They head out to Milwaukee, the Jays, I guess, a week from tomorrow, but that's the third in four straight yep. road matches. Um, they're at Seton Hall in St. John's this weekend out in New York area. Um, mm-hmm. You know, any of those two matches strike you as um, snake pit type venues or, or situations? Or, I mean, anytime you hit the road, right, anything can happen. But back-to-back weekends on the road for this team, anything alarm you? Based on what you've seen so far and how you they, they see do. the rest of the league worked, okay. Not what I've seen so far. I think Creighton is actually based on what I've saw seen out of Seton Hall and St. John's. Creighton is actually a terrible matchup for them, kind of everywhere. Based, you know, if serving and passing, uh, just doing volleyball, playing defense, but also physically at the net. You know, Creighton is Creighton's going to impose their will, but. That road trip to Seton Hall and St. John's has been tough for Creighton in the past. So for whatever reason, um, all of that, all those advantages have been negated when they go to those two places. So it hasn't been an easy road trip for the Jays. Um, and I think Kirsten Berthelbuth knows that, and the coaching staff knows that. So I have a feeling they'll have their players' attention as far as making sure they're ready to play when, the, you know, when first serves. So, um, but yeah, it's been a tough weekend for them. It really has. It's yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it has. I think. Seton Hall is a team that's beaten Creighton two or three times um, since they joined the Big East and out of the five losses they've had. So that's one of the teams that's kind of had their number a little bit, or at least been able to play with the Jays um, other than Marquette. So, um, yeah, it is going to be an interesting weekend because that's one of the ones that kind of, you know, it's hard to get up for because Creighton is a better team than both of those schools, but um, it's one of those situations where, Seton Hall is just so scrappy, and St. John's usually has one or two hitters that causes problems. So it, they're able to kind of stay in things if Creighton's not locked in. Now, that said, if Creighton's locked in, we're going to see two sweeps and blowouts. So, so all, all depends on you know how the match goes and things like that. But it is going to—I wouldn't call that—I wouldn't guarantee this weekend, but on paper, it should be two sweeps. That works for me. I mean, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah what else uh, take? So this weekend also marks the start of men's basketball practice. And forgive me, this is going to sound um, ridiculous, but do the women start this weekend as well, Matt? Both teams yeah, in action? Yes. yes. Sunday is their first practice okay. for the women at one thirty, I think. So, yeah. yeah. So I know you've kind of taken a step back from – DJ Sokol Arena here the last couple days to get your bearings uh, before uh, (laughs) the true busy season starts in full effect. But 
what, yeah. are you, what are you looking forward to most this weekend down at practice? What are you looking forward to kind of sharing with Jays fans as you bring back to them those um, those very cherished tweets that you'll send uh, getting people's hopes up or, <laughs> you know, people reading into yeah. 140 or 280 characters or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Let me create some create some false hope right here, real quick. Um, Let's do it right For women's basketball, I mean, for women's basketball, the questions are obvious. How do you replace Marissa, Janine, and Brianna Rollerson? I mean, when you talk about positions on the floor, you're talking about Marissa Janine, who you know could play point guard, could play off guard, and for Brianna Rollerson, obviously a shot blocker, a rebounder, a physical presence inside offensively, but also a good passer for a post player. So you know. In ball screens, you know, in give and go situations and things like that, not going to be easy to replace. So, Creighton obviously, Flannery obviously has, you know, Sydney Lamberty and Jalen Agnew and um, Audrey Faber back is like their big three. And they'll kind of lean on that as the backbone of the team and, you know, play through those three for sure. But because um, that was a dangerous lineup when they put that lineup on the floor, they called it the small lineup, even though Audrey Faber is 6'2. She essentially is a four who can make centers come out and guard her and just tear them up. So the small lineup will be a big lineup for Creighton. So it's all about who, how they can replace the pieces that they're missing. Obviously Marissa Janin is one of the you know best Creighton players of all time. So that's not going to be easy, um, but they have some good, interesting guards. I mean, when you look at uh, Tatum Rimbao and, and Temi Sarda, I think is how you say her last name. Uh, you know, they, they've, they're, they're competitive, they're athletic, um, they're a little undersized, not, you know, strength wise is obviously going to be an issue, but, um, you know, Tatum looks like one of those kids who just has that look on their face. Like you tell that they're just a natural competitor, um, that they're not going to be intimidated by anybody and they're not going to back down from anybody. So that's a good foundation for a freshman to have because the rest of the stuff is going to be kind of head spinning as far as you know, knowing where you're supposed to be and things like that. It's it's all the same for men's and women's, you know. Getting a handle on where you're supposed to be and when you're supposed to be there is the is the trickiest part for freshmen coming in. So that's going to be the challenge for them is how they replace those two pieces especially. Um, you know, Jade Owens still isn't quite ready to rock and roll yet. So when does she get ready to go as far as maybe being a point guard that Creighton can, you know, get in there with some experience? Um and having MC McGrory not there is a loss, even though she wasn't a player last year because she got hurt and, um, you know, had to retire because of the concussion issue. She was a vocal presence on that team and held people accountable even after she was done playing. So, you know, she was a vital part of that whole, that big winning streak, that conference title, you know, that whole run they had kind of when they got their second win at the end of conference or non-conference play. So, I mean, there's question marks for them for sure. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, who slots into what role and how those things are answered. Um, on the men's basketball side, you know, how do you replace Justin Patton essentially? Uh, and it's, it's kind of funny because both teams are going to go through the same thing. They still don't have the number one answer at point guard yet. Um, so you're replacing your center and your point guard uh, on the men's side as well. So, trying to find who fits into what role, who's comfortable with what. And the thing with the men's side of things is they can get pretty creative with different lineups and things like that because 
I know people don't want to hear this, but all three point guards, and it's not going to be exclusively just those three point guards, but all three point guards, Tyler Clement, Davion Mintz, Caleb Joseph, they all kind of do, they all kind of bring something different to the table. So they all have different strengths, different weaknesses, and then you can mix and match, you know, accordingly. So obviously Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas are going to be the two guys you lean on and, you know, judging, you know, based on how you feel, they're two of the five or two of the 10 best players in the big East. So that's a good way to start. It's a good, good problem to have. I guess if you're, if you, if you have questions about who's going to lead the team, at least have someone you can default to. And, you know, Kyrie Thomas and Marcus Foster being two of those guys is, you know, having the defensive player of the year and uh, all big East player and Marcus Foster is, Right, I mean, there's only a defense player you That's a good pro. That's a good way to start it out, at least. You know, the pro, the the questions are going to be, you know, who plays the five well. Martin Crample looks like that's he's got a leg up on that right now, but um, you know, Jacob Everson, I think, will get some playing time. Toby Hackner, obviously, will get playing time there. Um, Andy Suarez looks like he can do some different things, maybe um, in spurts. And, you know, just going from there, it's going to be interesting. I think I think they're going to get a little creative with the lineups because there's a lot of different abilities on this basketball team. I don't know. I don't think this will be – I think this will be a year more like 2013, 2014, not necessarily from uh, a success standpoint, but from how creative, you know, the coaching staff can get in, in trying to find mismatches and things like that offensively. Hmm. Obviously, did Joey bail out? They fall asleep. Uh, no, his internet dropped, but I think he said he was trying no. to get back on. So I know he's got thoughts on this. Um, but really, I mean, this time of year, you know what you're going to get with Marcus. You know what you're going to get with Kyrie. I mean, I, certainly those guys both have room to improve, and I think we both expect them to be even better than they were last year. Um, but I mean. This time of year for me, it's always about, all right, we've heard stories about Mitch Ballack. We've heard stories about Jacob Epperson. We've heard stories about Tyson Alexander. But now we get these guys on campus in their run-up to what they're all hoping will be playing time in, in, in big spots as freshmen. Um, so for me, it's always I'm just I'm keenly interested in insider like you – who sees practice day in and day out and how that adjustment's going. Because now, I mean, what, you've covered these practices intensively for more than a handful of years. You've been there. You're going to be able to see and, and give your perspective on and draw similarities to other guys who we all know then what the end result was of their first seasons or their first years in the programs or whatever. Um you know, how far along is a guy this year compared to a similar type of person or a similar type of player or a similar type of position need a couple of years ago? To me, that stuff is fascinating. Well, fascinating because I just yeah. Well, you hear me say this. It'll be the same warning essentially because I'll go back to this comparison prior to the fourteen fifteen season or the fifteen sixteen season. Prior to 2015-2016, Kyrie Thomas and Martin Crample. Uh, looked like they might be starters, based on those pre pre fall summer workouts, um, the Italy trip practices, and things like that. Um, you know, they were studs during that session. Hmm. Now, what happened when the real stuff started? The playbook got implemented. 
you know, the defensive schemes and all that started becoming more organized and scouting report based things got implemented was the head started spinning, you know, all of a sudden the body's getting fatigued, the mind's fatigued, the class load, the, the injuries, the things like that. And they fell off. They fell off immediately. Like you saw that they were falling behind and it was hard to catch up. So that's the thing with freshmen is they always look like you can always see the glimpses of their abilities in the summer and you see why they're wearing Creighton uniforms. Like Mitchell Ballack, uh, excellent shooter, great creator, playmaker, sees the floor really well, has great instincts with the ball. Um, Tyshawn Alexander, again, a knockdown shooter, uh, has really, really transformed his body since he got on campus. If you see the before and after pictures, um, I'll have a story on him in a couple weeks here. But if you see the kind of transformation he's made as far as his body fat percentage and things like that, He's really put in a lot of work to improve his his physique, and he looks like a guy who might have a he, – he, he reminds me a little bit of Kyrie in how far ahead he is defensively for a freshman. Um, his wingspan isn't quite Kyrie's. It's not quite as freakish, but it's still above average. Um, I think he's 6'4 or 6'3, and his wingspan is 6'7. So, hmm. you know, that's any, – any, any wow. wingspan taller be nice. bigger than you. That's Must be nice. I didn't realize his wingspan was that. Yeah, good. but like he looks like, yeah, but he looks like a guy who can impact the game defensively for a freshman. So that's always I always like seeing those type of players because they're so rare. First of all, like freshmen always look like they want to come in and score and make fancy passes and do all the like, the, and then they have to be harped on to make the simple plays and things like that. But very few of them have good footwork, can keep up with guys defensively, especially veteran guys who know how to score, like Marcus Foster and things like that. So I'm really encouraged by what I see out of Tyshawn defensively. Um, Jacob Epperson is a guy who has a great motor, and I think he's going to make a lot of plays. I don't know if they'll be – he won't be – I don't think he'll be consistent at all this year, but he can block shots. He can – you know, he's very tall. He jumps really well. His vertical is really good. So, you know, he can get a loose ball here and there, a rebound, a putback, and things like that. He can step outside and shoot it a little bit. So he's – I think he'll have an impact. Now, I don't know if it'll be a big one, but – I don't think he's a redshirt candidate based on his abilities right now. Um, obviously, based on his body, he's probably a redshirt candidate, but I don't think he's going to redshirt because Creighton's just still thin at that position. They'll take whatever they can get out of Epperson, and I think he can provide something. So, um, But that's 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 what I've seen out of them right now. Now, on Friday, things get real, and things get different. I don't know what it is. I haven't experienced it as a human being myself, but I'm telling you I've seen it, so – it's just a different animal when you're going from one hour summer workouts that are, you know, half court most of the time that are just kind of basic principles of the scheme and things like that to two to three hour workouts, you know, one or two times a day, then lifting and then shooting, you know, then class and then all that. It's just a different, it's just an entirely different animal. So when you get to experience it for the first time as a freshman or a newcomer to division one, you know, there's some, there's a learning curve. So however however you adjust to that decides how much you play as your, your first year. So um, that's going to be the thing to watch for the first couple weeks, um, first month, is to see how those new faces transition to, you know, the animal that is Division One college basketball because on Friday it gets real. All right, before it gets real, Matt, what's your projected starting lineup? You too, Odd. I want to know your projected starting lineups before a, a practice has even begun. Oh, that's uh, 
I mean, we're gonna, we're so gonna be, I'm gonna be assistant coaches in a couple of years, so we got to have this stuff down, right? By September for sure. I was so. actually, I, I like when Matt was talking, I was just busy looking up like the dummies guide to coaching basketball because that's the one sport for James that I haven't coached yet. So I got to figure that out if I'm going to be, you know, in the mix. So I already got okay. a 2023 recruit list broke breakdown. <laughs> I know so it's in the recruit. Already... You, you got a head start because you had all the recruiting I, matrices. Matrices. I got. I got all of them down, so we're in good shape there. But I want to know your starting lineups. So here's my question: Are we all giving our starting lineups? Or are you just throwing me out to the wolves right no, now? No, no, no. We'll, we'll, we'll all put it out there. We'll all put it. Okay, out there. all right, all right, all right. So I'll do. I'll go. I'll give mine first. Now this is my starting lineup on September 27th. Okay, before the official, all the workouts are done. All the summer workouts are done. So before the official start of practice, this is my yeah, starting lineup for 27th. We're not going to hold you to this. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about people that are listening to me. Right <laughs> the now, tattoo so. comes I'm, later. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Let's hear it. Should I do like? Should I do like the obvious ones and then go with the dramatic ones? Like, no, I want. I want, a, I want a number one through five. Okay. So number one, point guard Tyler Clement. Number two, Marcus Foster. Uh, the three, Kyrie Thomas, obviously. Four, Ronnie Harrell, and uh, five, Martin Krempel. Do you want to ask why? I'm assuming you want to ask why, don't you? I, I have you do want to ask why. Don't I you? have some questions, but, but I want to I, <laughs> I like, uh, what? So, yeah, I, want, I, mean, I want to have odds first. Yeah, ahead, so uh, mine was going to be Caleb Joseph, Marcus Foster, Kyrie Thomas, Toby Hegner, and Martin Krampel. But I'm assuming Toby's not in your starting spot because of maybe just <laughs> recovering still from injury, or did you forget about my friend Toby Hegner, or what? No, I didn't forget about him. I think I think I'm uh, just giving you shit. <laughs> I think uh, uh, A is right. He is not totally 100% right yet. Um, but B, I think also he's more of the. I don't know how much four he's going to play this year. So sure, that's the that's the other question I have. Because so I think Ryan, I, I had him in. I, I had him. I had him. I had him number two behind Martin is what I have him at. Right okay, now. that makes sense. Sure, Joey, where are we wrong? Obviously, we. I have, have no idea. No, I mean, no, I have no idea. Pure, pure potential, pure potential. I would like to see Joseph, Foster, Thomas, Ronnie, and Toby. That'd be my. That'd be my. If I'm playing a game to win the conference title on the last game of the year for whoever that's against, that that'd be who I think would be our best team. Oh, if we're so. if we're playing a game to win the conference championship. Yeah, I didn't, that was the year, question right? I was asked. That'd be That was not Kay- what I was asked. That'd be Caleb, oh Marcus, Kyrie, uh, Jacob Everson, and Mitch Bound. Right? Yeah. I mean, or whatever, you know. Nah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, Joey, answer the question based on know. playing like Truman State or something like that. That's Maybe like we get I go I go the, I go the same roster. I, I, I mean, same thing. I, I guess I guess I shouldn't have said all that extra stuff, but <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I just think that, I think I think that's that, that's that's the highest caliber team I think we can field or starting lineup I guess you know but hey you got why two, why, you got... why why Tyler Clement have you yeah, listened? yeah I, was, I was wondering how why you thought that was creative or have not. you listened um, to this show the no. last two years <laughs> I, I have but, but yes. we have two really quality <laughs> point guards ahead of him at this point and so I just do we um, do we um oh boy. It, the th- it's like I said, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. So that's let, let me just preface that first of all. Um, but the thing that Tyler has on his side is experience, 
Now that's also something that Caleb has. Tyler also has a better understanding of the offense and defense. That's he's head and shoulders above anybody in that regard. Um, he can shoot the ball. He's left-handed, so that's tricky. And he can, but he, but he knows where everybody's supposed to be on the floor. Not just his responsibilities, everybody's responsibilities, offensively, defensively, and the other team. You know what I mean? Like that's how much experience he's had running the scout team and things like that. He knows other teams' playbooks as well as he knows his own playbook. And I just feel like when it matters most, based on this coaching staff's previous, like, you know, everybody talks about why Zierden played so much. It's all the same variables. He knows where he's supposed to be. He's not going to be ever be out of position. He might be outmatched, but he won't be in the wrong spot. He's not going to get beat by some fundamental mistake. He's just going to get beat because you were better than him on that play. That's, And I think that's what, as a coaching staff, they prefer. If you're going to get beat, it's just mano and mano. And it's one of those things where that's up in the air. But as far as being in the wrong spot from the start, is, that is, is it up that, in the that, air? That, that compromises who, who everything, is, I think. Who is? I, I guess it is definitely fall for having the Tyler Clement should start conversation. But who who mano y mano is it fifty fifty Tyler Clement with? Yeah, on any team in our schedule. I mean, Truman you, State fifty fifty Tyler Clement. It's not. Who, who is who is not, he going? It's not fifty fifty. It's just up in the air. I said. Said a fifty fifty. I mean, I mean. No, I said up in the air. I was very careful. Up in the air. Who is it up in the air for? You really think that he can compete with some of the point guards that are going to be coming at him? He has a chance yeah. to, because he's in the right spot. Yes, because his strengths. Because he has strengths as a point guard. So we're giving. We're giving. Being, being, being in the right spot, being organized offensively is. I think you're undervaluing undervaluing how much how important that is, especially with. You know some of the new faces that'll be around. I mean, do you you don't think Tyler Clement can play a lot with like a Mitchell Ballack or a Tyshawn Alexander? If you have a point guard who isn't quite sure how to run the show, you don't want to put freshmen on the floor with that point guard because everybody's lost them. You know what I mean? So if you have if you have if you have if you want to plug in players who don't who you're not quite sure if they know what they're doing, you want to have someone on the floor who knows what they're doing. Otherwise, it's going to be chaos. Well, I'm just so, I'm just concerned that. If we're continuing to go with Tyler after a guy like Davion had a year into the program and Caleb Joseph has had a year into the program, if if what we're trying to predicate on offense and defense can't be picked up by two players over a year's worth of practice, and uh, it takes well, I mean, two or three years to pick that up, then I then I, that that worries me a little bit for any player coming in to play that position. Honestly, again, I, uh, and I'm not necessarily saying that they aren't picking that up. I'm just saying they're they're all different. And the reason I like Tyler is just personal preference. I like what he does. I like how organized he is. I like how confident he is. I like how cerebral he is. And, again, he can shoot the ball. He can pass the ball. He can make the right play. That's what I want out of a point guard. I'm, like, going back old school. Like, Ryan Sears was my introduction to basketball, folks. Like, so as far as a guy just being a bulldog, a competitor, a guy who is cerebral, knows where everybody's supposed to be on the floor, the unquestioned, like, you know that guy's going to do his job type of guy. That's the one I want at point guard. That's the bottom line. That's that's my personal preference for who I prefer to run the show. So if that's why he's my starting point guard on September 27th right Isn't, now. Now, how does that go when they start competing for it, you know, on Friday? Who knows? Maybe someone just blows it completely out of the water and looks like the guy, like Maurice Watson looked like, you know, the minute he stepped on the floor, you know, as a red shirt. Um. Who knows what that looks like, but we don't know. We don't know yet. But I know that Tyler looks like he's going to play at least some minutes, at least some heavy minutes, and at least might might even be a closer 
because of how steady he is. Um, and you know, who knows if he starts or not. So that's, uh, he's the guy I see more of as someone who can be that floor general. I think he's more natural at that than the other guys are. And that's why I chose him. Isn't this way better to talk about than recruiting? Yes. It makes me every time. No, that's what I'm saying. It makes me excited. Like, we are so close. So, like, why does well, yeah? So, like, give your why do you guys like? Uh, so, you guys, do you guys choose different point cards, Caleb and Davion, right? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think um, knowing where you're, everything that you said about Tyler or whomever that type of point card would be, totally valid. I agree with it. I also am continuing to long for a day where Creighton is going to put extreme length out at every position, including the point guard spot to pressure on defense more just from a sheer physical standpoint. And whether that's just the extra inch or two that you have the ability to close down a passing lane. um, That to me, when you start rolling out the balls against the other big East schools, I think becomes invaluable because kind of that off-the-bus look uh, and feel. I just remember that first year in the Big East watching these guys come right out in front of us in the, in the tunnel, and it's like, we got to get there, guys. You know, we got to get to that point. And not to say that you want a guy that is a mental stiff out there but just has really long arms. I mean, there's plenty of guys yeah. that look the part that are playing, you know, for swack teams and going playing their first 25 games of the season on the road. But – you know, if you bring in a guy that has physical tools and can put it together, I think you, as a fan, I'm interested in seeing that product, knowing that you do have a steady hand mm-hmm. on the bench and you do have a steady guy that you could bring in if stuff's just not working out. But um, that, to me, is what I I am interested in. You know, it would probably be a different story if Tyler was a couple inches taller, a little bit longer wingspan, and um, and looked the yeah, part He wouldn't be walking of, on a crate. No, I know. That – and. And I'm not saying that that's a yeah. bad thing, right? But I'm yeah. saying you got you got a couple, you know, I'm really intrigued by that. And just from a curiosity standpoint, I think you roll out you roll out a, a lineup like that, and it's imposing. I mean, I think that, that there's something just, to be said for that. And in, in Tyler's in Tyler's favor, resume-wise, just to go back to him real quick, I mean, when you talk about the win at Butler, that was a clinic. Sure. And and then you talk about the semifinal, Big East semifinal win against Xavier – that's what my Gus Johnson time. was like. Well, nope. don't forget when Gus Johnson, the, everybody loves Gus Johnson when he was talking about Tyler Clement not being a shooter. Yep. Three seconds right before Tyler Clement finds himself in the corner for a game tying three. Like, don't forget that. And he didn't I just. I mean, the guy's hit big shots. He's played in big moments. So. Well, and he didn't just he's, find he's, himself. He's got everything. He didn't just find himself in the corner. He saw very quickly that the defense had completely over-rotated and vacated that spot, and he mm-hmm. shit-hot ran to that spot wide open, and it was a great pass to give him the ball and make that jumper. You know, but yeah, I, I, that's totally in his favor. I, I completely agree, but I, I just think that my – I am I just think I'm right, and you're wrong. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's fair. That's totally fair. That's legit. No, man, I don't know. Who knows? Speak on it. Speak on it, Brian. Now, Joey, what do you got? Why? Why? What do you like as far as what you're looking well, for and why you chose who you chose? Because I, I followed. I, I mean, I didn't follow Caleb Joseph's recruiting when he was coming out of high school, but I know he was a top fifty, top fifty player. 
and I watched him play at Syracuse. I've seen him play. Rolling my eyes so hard right now that you went recruiting rankings. Like, I cannot express. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just telling you. I knew he was a top player coming out of high school because I follow this stuff. And so I watched Syracuse play when he was playing for them. Mm-hmm. I remember that he has played at a high level. I remember thinking he could play it at that beat um, as a freshman. And I just think that um, I, I'm also uh, – I remember your interview with him when he was sitting out last year. Um, there was a lot of things that he was saying on his interview with you that I thought were very intelligent things that I wouldn't necessarily think – um, a, a redshirt point guard who had an awful sophomore year uh, would be saying. Uh, and I was really intrigued by uh, the way he sees the game. And so I thought uh, with combining that with some of the physical tools uh, that he uh, has on a piece of paper and the, what I have, you know, I remember seeing his freshman year uh, at Syracuse. I thought, uh, you know, that that's an intriguing, like Bryant said, an intriguing spot for uh, Matt McDermott to be able to, implement his offense through a player like that. So, you know, I could easily, you know, I I think that Tyler, you know, I don't know as much as you, I'm not as close to the program as you, but I see Tyler as the third peg because I think it's clearly between Davion and Caleb. You know, I think Davion really came on too and showed flashes. And I, I think with the whole Mo thing out of the question now, uh, you know, I think Davion can, can truly feel like this is his spot to take. Uh, And I hope he comes into practice thinking, those other two guys got to take it away from me because uh, I'm the leader of the clubhouse because, you know, I, you know, I think that there's an argument to be made that he's the incumbent point guard for this team. Well, you know what? I'm writing about all three of them. So screw you. I like it <laughs> as well. as should. And you know what? Frankly, yeah, no, I, 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 I've, I've, you know, I've talked to all three of them about this, this battle coming up and, you know, I've talked to Mac and things like that. I, I really feel like it's wide open. I honestly do. I mean, and it serves them right to have it be wide open. Sure, because it should be. Right. Tyler, you know, Tyler's putting time in the program. Caleb sat out a year. Davion's in year two. Like, he wasn't promised anything. It should be a wide open competition. They all should have to battle for it. So I'm, I'm excited to see how it turns out. And the best part about it is I don't really care. As long as we win games and everything's on <laughs> exactly. the up and up, you know, you, yeah. you can let whoever start. I don't care. Yeah. Just win, baby. If Tyler, if, if Tyler averages 15 and 6, you're not going to argue with that I was right. You're not going to care. If uh, yeah, I won't tell you what I'll do if Tyler averages fifteen six. Are you taking Tyler Clement in our fantasy league this year, Matt? I mean, we got to do out, fantasy. I'll, I'll take out a hundred thousand dollars and get my own recruits because the Jeffrey Grissel, be... Matt DiMarino club. You got to take Tyler Clement as one of your top players in fantasy. Hey, I was right. I was right about Jeff though. He had a great second half of his career. Was I not right about that? He had a great senior year. He did. So okay, thank you. So I'm not. I'm not totally. I'm not completely crazy. I don't know. I don't know what kind of fantasy pr- prospects Grissel had that year, but he had a good. He had a good year. He did. Yeah, I don't know if he was a good fantasy player or not. I don't oh play God, that anymore. Dude, we're gonna weird. stop. We're gonna. We're talking fantasy college <laughs> basketball. So this is our time to wrap up the show. Uh, but seriously, we've gotcha. been going at this for about an hour and a half tonight, and I gotta say, man, I was really excited tonight, guys. This was uh, this is really salty. I like it. This is. Um, I appreciate you guys joining the call tonight and bringing your guys' expertise yeah. and your your at. I mean, Matt, I know you're you know neutral or whatnot. But Joey, always appreciate the avid uh, intensity that you bring to our our talks about the pitch and our talks about the hoops and the recruits and all that stuff. And um, I mean, I frankly, I just couldn't stop thinking. Well, I can never stop thinking about you, but couldn't stop thinking about you the last hour or the last day or so as all this stuff started to happen because. You know, I, I just 
you put two and two together when you're reading all this recruiting stuff and you're seeing stuff like fly in under the radar late and um yeah i just it's crazy to me and it's only going to be you know uh more um telling i guess yeah, it's gonna stuff be up, you know so um That's... hopefully we hopefully we stay um in a place where we can you know just be reacting to this uh with genuine genuine shock and surprise and and nothing gets close to the hilltop or whatever but appreciate all you guys um bringing perspective tonight to that conversation and everything else uh talking jay's hoops and jay soccer and jay's volleyball so you guys got any last uh parting shots or anything you want to change your starting lineup suggestions or recommendations or anything before we go no i just like to say pray for me because five sports at once is yeah it's always a cult it's always a shock right it shocks my body right away but i get used to it but okay well give me, i mean give me a couple of weeks hopefully volleyball can be like on autopilot a bit uh, you know, you can just keep writing like they won a three to one match yeah. again, or they won three sets to none again. Hopefully, exactly. but, uh, I, I'm really worried about Joey, frankly, with this soccer team right now, and I'm I'm hoping that things level out here and incre- and improve. But uh, um, should be should be quite the interesting Big East slate for the Blue Jays and Elmar's squad, I think. So that promises to be entertaining, regardless of how it goes, right? Yeah, they're they're confident in what they got going right now. They they definitely think that they're building something for the better. Uh, but again, the Big East is tough. Uh, so you know, yeah, but the travel. I mean, going to Providence, going yeah. to Georgetown, going to Marquette. These are these are hard travel. Uh, you know, trips for for a soccer team that at times has to split up between flights, and you're sending coaches on different flights, and so. This this gets tough at this time of the year, and they were hoping not to have to dig themselves out of a hole. I think they've begun to do that for sure, but um, some of the losses they had occurred, and especially at Butler, uh, you know, they're playing a little bit from behind. But like I've said all year, they have the talent to win the league. Um, we'll just see if it can remain healthy and remain fit. So. All right. Well, all I know is if we're all I know is if we're sitting here a month from now talking about a loss at Marquette, considering how bad that team has been. Uh, that might be a Joey Tempo podcast, and we'll just sit back and listen to it. Sounds good. Well, we'll be back a week from now talking about and recapping um, men's soccer's trip, uh, volleyball's trip, the first weekend of practice for basketball on both sides, and and uh, we'll bring you our unfiltered Creighton sports coverage like we do every week. So for Matt DeMarinas, Joey Tempo, I'm Bryant Dot. Want to appreciate? I want to say we appreciate you listening to the podcast. Make sure to tell your Jays friends and fans about it as we start to roll closer to hoop season. We'll be picking up the pace a little bit too. Again, thanks a lot for listening to the Blue Jays Bites podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and go Jays! <laughs>